are here. If you have your Bibles, and by this time you ought to know you should, uh, open them, open them to Luke chapter 1. And uh, always when I teach, I'm always thinking, man, I hope they're getting as much out of this as I am studying it. And I hope that you are. Uh, We've been looking at Mary's life song that magnified the Lord and not herself. What a great reminder that we need. And we have the theme throughout this is that we, we don't venerate Mary as equal to the Lord. We imitate Mary as one who exalted her Lord rather than herself. And again, the overview of this passage is you look at Luke chapter 1, uh, 26 through 56. We've seen the Annunciation. The angel announces to Mary. And we saw that Mary magnifies the Lord by the Father's amazing grace to her, not as a channel or mediator of grace to others. Secondly, we saw the visitation. Immediately, by grace through faith, Mary runs to see the sign that has been given by the angel, the pregnancy of her elderly relative Elizabeth. And we learn there that Elizabeth and even John, six months in the womb, and Mary, they magnify the Lord by the Spirit spirits by witnessing with the spirits filling. Um, And so today we're finally here at the magnification of the Lord. The true climax of this passage is Mary's song. And we're going to see that she magnifies the Lord with her worship. I I think I have this quote in your notes there. It's from uh, J.C. Ryle, a man from the 1800s. Uh, Just anything by Ryle, you can get your hands on, read it. Uh, We have in these verses the announcement of the most marvelous event that ever happened in this world, the incarnation and birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is a passage which we should always read with mingled wonder love and praise. And I hope our study has, uh, the Spirit has has stirred that up in your heart because that's exactly what all the key people in these passages do, right? Uh, Jesus is in the house, uh, literally in the womb of Mary. And therefore, John jumps for joy. Elizabeth shouts for joy. And now Mary is going to sing for joy. And listen, When Jesus is in your heart and my heart, we should be doing the same thing. We should be filled with that kind of joy. Now, I know Baptists don't jump, but you can kind of move. You can sway. You can, you know, actually act like you're alive when you're singing. This is a good thing. Walking with the Lord and witnessing for the Lord, as we've seen in the previous weeks, it's not a burden we bear. It's a joy that we share. So today, we want to look at this last section. It's the Magnificat, which is Latin for the word magnify. Mary magnifies the Lord with a joyful song of thanksgiving. So let's look at Luke chapter 1, and we'll just read the Magnificat, verses 46 through 56. And Mary said, so this is a response to the Spirit-filled blessing from Elizabeth. And Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord, right there, in Latin, that first word exalt 
is magnified. Magnified. My soul, so the, the, just Mary said, exalt, exalt, magnify the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. Why? Because of who I am? No, for the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. It's not her name that's holy. It's his name that's holy. And his mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. This isn't just for Mary. It's for anyone who humbles themselves. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones. And he has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to his fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. So we have this extraordinary praise contrasted with this continuing of the ordinary. And so let's take a look at this. Now, that is a magnificent praise song. Would you agree? Magnificent praise song. So much so, it's caused some to ask the question, could a young teenage virgin ever write such a song? I mean, this is a gal who's in her teens. She's from the backwaters of Nazareth and Galilee. Could she? Well, skeptics say no, but the passage has already taught us. How could Mary have done this? Well, by, number one, walking in the Father's amazing grace. By grace through faith. She has saturated her life with Scripture. And when this moment comes, the Spirit takes the Word and uses it to praise Him. You don't learn how to praise the Lord without being in the Word of God and taking it for what it is. We've also learned that it is her witness by the Spirit's filling. Uh, This isn't just her ability. This is a divine ability to praise and focus on the Lord. And we're going to see she has done it because she is worshiping the Son. It is her life song. This isn't a one-hit wonder. She didn't suddenly say, well, today I'm going to praise the Lord with my one-hit wonder praise song. No, she'd been praising the Lord as long as she could speak. She has walked with the Lord by grace. She has been filled by the Spirit, and she is magnifying the Son. In other words, Mary's song, is you st- what stands out about this song are at least three things. Number one, it's Scripture-saturated. Mary lived a life that was word-fed. She is drawing from the Old Testament. She's reading through her Bible. And and she doesn't have a Bible like we do. She's going to the synagogue. She's faithful in learning the Word of God. We have a greater privilege than she had. We have our... I mean, this is a privilege. This is an unbelievable privilege. And many of us have many of these privileges. But do we open them? Do we read them? The beginning of the year is a great time to renew your commitment. I have to renew it. I have to stay on it. I always need accountability to do it. 
and you can do it. Mary was word-fed. She was spirit-led. This is a spirit-filled song. Last week, I asked my wife, uh, I always ask her what she gets out of the lesson. That's a, a burden of being married to a pastor. And, and she wears the burden well. I don't know. I'm, I'm so tired right now. I just let me think about it. You know, you always ask me, you know, OK, OK. So she said, well, I got a question. Well, what about John? Was he like permanently filled with the spirit? I said, that's a great question, because, no, this is prior to Pentecost. So uh, uh, was John saved and regenerated in the womb? I don't think so. He, the Spirit came upon him. The Spirit came upon Elizabeth. The Spirit would come upon Mary. Mary, even though the text doesn't explicitly say it, she's filled with the Spirit. This song is Spirit-led. What will happen in Pentecost is the spirit, Jesus goes up and the Spirit comes down to permanently. Again, another privilege that you and I have. Mary doesn't have what you and I enjoy of permanent filling of the Spirit. Are we enjoying that? And then this is a song that God used in a magnificent way. What's interesting about this song is God used it like he used the Mary in the Old Testament. Who did we say was named Mary in the Old Testament. It's not Mary, it's Miriam. And if you look in the Bible, Miriam and Mary are the same, Hebrew and Greek, it's the same name. And if you look in the Bible, the first mention of Miriam is after the Exodus, and it says she's a prophetess, which means she is filled with the Spirit, to sing a praise chorus, glorifying God after the parting of the Red Sea. So this song echoes and is similar in that way. Secondly, this song is similar to Hannah's song. Anybody know who Hannah is? Hannah, the mother of Samuel, an aged lady who was also barren, who God promised and provided. And when her son was at a very young age, Hannah brought him to the temple and dedicated him to God. And Samuel would become that anointer of kings. So you have redemption and you have Davidic kings and Hannah sings this song that parallels much of what Mary says. So here's the idea. Mary is singing of a greater redemption than that of Miriam. It is Jesus, the Lamb of God, the firstborn of God, who is now providing redemption. And so she echoes Miriam. But she's also not just talking about a priest like Samuel, who's going to anoint the king, the Davidic human king. She is singing praises of the eternal Davidic king. And so there's all these themes and patterns that when you know your Bible... Like Mary knew, knew her Bible, you connect things and you're able to see this kind of fulfillment of what God is doing. Well, today I want to focus on one main idea, and it's this. Magnify the Lord with your worship of the Son's kingdom's reversals. Magnify the Lord with your worship of the Son's kingdom reversals. Mary is inviting us to join the Jesus revolution, the Jesus revolution that is a reversal of how the world actually lives. Listen, this song 
is filled with all these kingdom reversals. And here's what I like to say. If you want to figure out what God thinks about something, ask what the world says and then turn it on its head. Now, you need to go to your Bible. But I mean, most times, if the world says do that, do the opposite. If the world says think this way, think the opposite. It's kingdom reversals. And that's what you see in this song. Jesus is not even born yet. She's, he is just a few days. He is what we would call an embryo implanted in the womb of Mary. And yet he is bringing a kingdom living revolution. The kingdom reversals, they magnify the Lord because the king changes everything. I was just reading, in fact, this morning, uh, J.C. Ryle says, look, if you're going to get saved, get ready for upheaval in your life. You know, the Lord turns things upside down and it won't be business as usual. So let's look at four kingdom reversals, okay? And we'll just move our way through her song. The first thing is this. The Lord is magnified, not us. The first kingdom reversal is that we make much of him and not of ourselves. And that's the theme of this series. That's the theme of this passage. Look again at verses 46 and 47. And Mary said, exalt My soul, exalt the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in who? God, my Savior. When you see the literal meaning of that word exalt, it even emphasizes this point more. It means this, my soul makes great the Lord. My soul enlarges the Lord. Now, can we make God bigger? Can our praise make God bigger? No. God is as big as God is. And our praise does not expand Him. But when we see more of the Lord, then we make much more of Him and we begin to enlarge Him. Okay? In our lives, in, our, in the way we live, in the way we think. And that's what Mary is saying here. My soul magnifies the Lord. So, two things I want you to see. First of all is this. Mary begins where all true worship begins. God-centered. God-centered, not man-centered. God-centered, not me-centered. If you want to upgrade your worship experience, think about who am I focusing on? Am I focusing on the style of music? Am I focusing on what the pastor is wearing? Am I focusing on the whatever? Anything other than the Lord is going to degrade your worship. But if you want to exalt the Lord, then focus on Him. She is exalting the Lord, but notice she's exalting in God her Savior. Exalting means making much of God. Exalting means rejoicing in your God. So make much of Him, and when you do, you will find your joy in Him. And if you remember, these two words should be familiar from our study of the doxological Hallel Psalms. We talked about exalting and exalting, joyfully making much and finding great joy in Him. That's what it's all about. And notice, she's making, she's enjoying and exalting 
and rejoicing in her Lord and her Savior. Listen, true salvation never separates lordship and salvation. You don't separate those. Savior and Lord go together. He can't save you if he's not Lord. And if he's Lord, the good news is he wants to save you. Isn't that beautiful? Those go together. Uh, You can't uh, accept Jesus as Savior and then later make him Lord. He's both those things. That's how he saved you. And that's why he saved you. And, and, And Mary understands that. Elizabeth understood that. Elizabeth said, how has the mother of my... Lord, come to me. And so these are. this is where worship begins. Secondly, true New Testament worship is always centered on our triune God and not merely a generic God. This is something that I, I try to repeat with you and try to bring to your mind a lot. And that is, try it in your worship, in your prayer, in your singing which our praise team emphasizes. But also in your reading, look for the triune God. Get away from the generic God, where everything is always just God. And start focusing on the one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, last week I showed you uh, in the the Annunciation, I showed you the Trinity at work. Uh, In the Visitation... Today, I want you to take a look at this and understand that this song is a result of the triune God. You say, well, where's the spirit? It just says Mary said. Well, here's what I would say. First of all, it's indicated in verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. It's indicated there. Second of all, it's implied From verse 41, where John and Elizabeth are filled with the Spirit. Mary is joining in. The implication is she is filled with the Spirit. And then finally, it's inferred from the other songs in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Later in this chapter, Zacharias is said to be filled with the Spirit and he sings. And then in chapter 2, it is um, Simeon who is filled with the Spirit, and he sings. So the Spirit is at work. Interestingly, the Son is never mentioned directly in this song. The song is all about him, and yet he's not directly mentioned. Now we know that he's been, uh, much has been said about him in the Annunciation. Uh, He's been mentioned in the Visitation, the fruit of her womb. He is the one that's being sung about, And I think the reason that it's not highlighted is because he's still in the womb, okay? He hasn't done anything, and he really can't do anything in the incarnation just yet. And yet, by being there, he has done everything. Is that cool? He he can't do anything, humanly speaking. And yet, because God has become incarnate... Everything that God has promised is about to be fulfilled, and therefore the focus is on the Father. And yet all three persons are here. The Father is the architect of our salvation, the Son accomplishes our salvation, and the Spirit applies salvation to us. And so when we've experienced salvation like Mary has, 
what do we do? We exalt the Lord and we exalt in Him. And it really comes down to this. When you see it, you sing it like Mary did. When you know it, you shout it like Elizabeth did. And when you're pumped about it, you jump about it like John did. The fact is, when you experience it, it happens. It happens. And let me just say, our praise team does a fantastic job. And Todd picks out the music and they discuss it and go over it. I don't know what they do, but they, I'm sure they do it. Do you, Dana? Do you do it? We just do what Todd says. But if you listen to our music, we are led to worship the triune God. Amen? Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to like all. Everybody has different styles. Everybody has different preferences. But the main thing is the main thing is the triune God being exalted and are we exulting, rejoicing in him. So that's the first thing. That's the first kingdom reversal. It's about him, not me. Worship is God-centered, but that doesn't mean God doesn't care about people. Here's what I like to say about the Bible. It's God-centered, but it's people-focused. And that's what Mary's song is. It starts out God-centered, but here's the second reversal. Are you ready? The Lord is mindful of the humble. The Lord is mindful of the humble. Notice there's a shift in verses 46 and 47. Mary goes vertical. That's where worship begins. But in verse 48 through 50, Mary goes personal and she looks at what the Lord has done for her. And that's what connects worship to your heart. If God is just out there and you don't know him, you're like, why are these people getting excited? Why do these people go to church? Why do they come to learn the Bible an hour early? Why why is this all going on? But when you know him, it makes sense to you. So notice in verse 48, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. The Lord who is God, her savior, has regard for her despite her humble status. I don't think you can get much humbler in status than Mary. She was a teen. She was a woman. She was from Nazareth, which was looked down upon as the Hicks. And she was from Galilee of the Gentiles, which was viewed by the Jerusalem elite as a place of uncleanness and a place of nothing godly could ever happen. And yet God knew who she was and where she was. So let me say this to you. No matter how low you go, no matter how low a loved one of yours goes, God knows, God sees, God cares, and God is near to hear. So I don't know what you're going through I don't know if you think, you know, what, does God see me? Does God know what I struggle with? Does God know at night when it's dark and I'm alone and I'm looking up at the ceiling and I'm wondering how this is going to work out or why this is happening? Do you realize that God is mindful of the humble? Is that not good news? Okay. Mary sees herself as merely one of the Lord's many bond slaves. That's her view. 
Bond slave has no rights. Bond slaves don't have the freedom to go where they want to go. She is submitted to her God and her king. She basically says, your wish is my command. I stand here eager to hear, quick to obey whatever you say. And here she is, even after the virgin conception, even after being blessed, triple blessed by Elizabeth as the mother of my Lord, Mary doesn't call herself, hey, thank you for making me the queen of heaven. Thank you for making me the mother of God. She says, no, you've had regard for your bond slave. You've been mindful of my humble estate. And folks, I don't care what your status is, spiritually speaking, we are all depraved beggars before the Lord. Okay, We are all in spiritual poverty, and the Lord has had regard for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Mary here avoids the two extremes in church history. Look at 48b. Look at the rest of verse 48. She says, You've had regard for my humble estate, for behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. She's avoiding. She's not making too much of herself. I'm a humble bond slave. But she's also not making too little of herself. All generations are going to call me blessed. But it's not because of who I am. It's because who you are, Lord. It's not because anything that I will do, it's what you have already done. Look at verse 49. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Get your eyes off me and onto him, the mighty one. And holy, he is unique. He is set apart. He is second to none. I'm not his equal. I'm not his co-mediator. I'm not his co-redemptrix. I am... His bond slave. He is holy. He is unique. And he has done a mighty work in my life. Can you say that this morning? Can you say that the Lord has done a mighty work to save you from your sins? To impart his righteousness to you? To declare you as good as himself because of the work of Christ Jesus? And then not only to do that but to begin to sanctify you and to equip you for service in his church and to the lost. You see, Mary is fully aware of how undeserving she is and how the virgin conception and incarnation has all been done by the mighty one. Now, I wish I had time, but I want to show you that Mary's song rejoices in the fulfillment of Isaiah's servant songs. Now, during COVID, I sat right over there, and these dear people over here filmed me all through COVID, and I went through the servant songs. And I tell you what, it was one of the best things I ever could do. In fact, I would tell a young man or a young woman headed into ministry or wanting to serve the Lord, you ought to study the servant songs because they unlock like the, the rest of the New Testament. And if you know the gospel of Luke, he is always building on these servant songs. In fact, Luke's gospel is about 
uh, Jesus as servant, right? Matthew, Jesus as king. Luke is about Jesus as servant. And he draws from these songs. And so a lot of what Mary is singing about is a fulfillment of these servant songs. And the reason I hesitate to bring this out is because you haven't studied the servant songs and maybe didn't watch me during COVID. I don't know. But, and so it becomes tedious or distant to you. But here's my struggle. If I don't ever show it to you, it will always be remain distant to you. Does that make sense? So you got to read. There's four servant songs. They cover, you know, several passages. But I just want you to see, because here in this song, as we're going to later see, he refers in verse 54, he is given help to Israel, his servant. Ding, 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 ding. Isaiah's servant songs. Isaiah, see, he's, he's telling us where to go. And notice in Isaiah 41, 8 through 20, Yahweh say, says, the nation of Israel is my servant, whom I will help. And he says help three times. Well, what does he say? What does she say here? Down in verse 54, he has given help to his servant Israel on the basis of covenant election and covenant loyalty to Israel, despite of her disloyalty and rebellion. Remember, Mary is coming out, she's singing, and Elizabeth is singing after 400 years of prophetic silence due to Israel's disobedience. Then 42, 1 through 9, then Yahweh says, Messiah is my servant. You're still my servant, though you don't deserve it. He's my servant. Because he's the sinless son of God who is my elect and who I put my spirit to bring forth justice. What we're going to see is all these reversals are justice, bringing justice to the nations and in the earth. And I will appoint you as a covenant to my people, Israel, the new covenant mediator, and as a light to the nations, which Luke is going to bring out. In Simeon's song, Isaiah 42. Therefore, Israel, (laughs) it follows right from this. Israel is to sing a new song to the Lord. Sing his praise from the end of the earth. And by the way, in the Greek Old Testament, that wording, end of the earth, is the same Greek phrase as Acts 1.8. You shall be my witnesses unto the end of the earth. What I'm saying is Mary is playing this out. It is being fulfilled in an initial way. Truly, Mary, under the inspiration of the Spirit, knows that the Lord is beginning to do mighty things that are just beginning with the Incarnation, but will culminate... In the kingdom coming, Israel being restored, and the nations being redeemed. And here's the good news. Justice to the nations, light to the nations. Both Isaiah and Mary understand that this isn't just for Mary, and it's not just for the Israel nation. It's for all people. Look at verse 50. And his mercy is upon generation... After generation toward those who what? Fear him. him. Hey, it doesn't matter what generation. 
It doesn't matter what nation. It doesn't matter what station in life. The Lord is doing mighty things, and He'll do them in your life as well. And so magnify the Lord for being mindful of the humble. When you look at her song, here's what she's saying. Go to that next slide. Here's what she's saying. In, anyone in any nation, in every generation, no matter how low you go, you will be delivered. You will be delivered. You can say, the Lord is my Savior. Number two, everyone who fears Him and runs to Him by faith alone will be forgiven. Your sins can be forgiven. Three, everyone who humbly confesses their sinfulness and neediness will receive mercy. She got mercy. Israel's going to get mercy. And guess what? You can have mercy too. And then finally, everyone who lives this way daily and doesn't become proud, self-reliant, or independent will be blessed. All of this comes... Because the Lord is mindful of the humble. Now that's a kingdom reversal. The difficulty is staying humble in a fallen world. Would you agree? Staying humble. It's one thing when I have pride in my heart. It's another thing when I have to live with proud people. Okay, don't look at your spouse if you're married, but it's a reality. So here's the third reversal. The third reversal is this. The Lord is mightier than the proud. The Lord is mightier than the proud. Look at verses 51 through 53. Here's these reversals. He's done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has exalted those who were humble. That's a reversal. He filled the hungry with good things, but he sends away the rich empty-handed. There's the reversals. So notice a couple things here. First, she had a vertical focus on the Lord. Then she had a personal focus. Now she has a radical global focus of what the kingdom is going to do. So notice the Magnificat functions as a pivot in the fulfillment of, of God's redemptive history. It's like Mary is reaching back to the Old Testament, all the way back to Genesis 3.15, and she's reaching forward all the way to Revelation 22, and she says, I am here at the pivot, not because of who I am, but what the Lord has done in the incarnation in my womb. Isn't that awesome? And so she looks back to the past. All this verbiage, all this verbiage, and that's why I read Isaiah to you. All of what she says here points to the mighty acts of God in the Old Testament, particularly the Exodus. You'll find this terminology. And so she's saying all that has been promised in the past is culminating here. And then she's looking inward at the present, at what the Lord is doing through the incarnate baby in her womb. And then she looks forward to the future, because I don't know about you, but has has tyrants been overthrown right now? Have they? In, in the world? I mean, did you watch the news? No, they're sending balloons. There's all, you know, there's craziness. We have tyrants in our country. Is there poor people in the world? Are many of God's people 
living in poverty today, we forget that here in this country. Yeah, this hasn't happened. But Mary talks about it all in the past tense. Why does she do that? Is she delusional? Is she having some pregnancy issues? Has she lost her mind? No. Because of who is in her womb, it's as good as done. All of what she says here is in the past tense. Because when Jesus is in the womb, it's as good as done. God, after 400 years of silence, God, after promising and promising and putting up with his people's disobedience, disloyalty, and depravity, has remained loyal, and now his servant has come. And it's as good as done. And that's something to praise God about. you got to turn the news off and open your Bibles and go vertical, go personal, and then anticipate the global. That's what she's doing. That's what she is doing. And it is an amazing thing. You see what we are to do until this happens. Next point is this. God's people stay on mission until the king comes and these, all these kingdom reversals happen. The first one is a moral reversal. The proud will be scattered. The proud will be scattered. Israel, then and now, is scattered. And proud nations abuse them and seek to destroy them. But one day the proud will be scattered and God's people will be gathered when Christ comes back. Social reversal. There's financial reversal. The, the humble will be exalted. And there is the rich will be sent away. The rich in this world. And those who are poor in this world who trust Christ will be rich in his kingdom. And all of this is due to a spiritual reversal. And so you remember in Acts 1.8, after Jesus talking on the kingdom for 40 days, the disciples say, okay, you've been talking about restoring the kingdom. Is now, are you going to restore the kingdom now that you're resurrected? And he says, not for you to know the time when I will restore the kingdom to Israel. What you need to do is stay on mission until all this happens. Go. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. You shall be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. That's what Isaiah is saying about the ends of the earth. So basically what we're doing is taking Mary's song to the nations, to our co-workers, to our fellow students, to our neighborhoods. And we're saying the king has come and he's coming again. Kingdom reversals are on the way. Don't set up your life in this life. This life is going down. His kingdom is coming. Don't be proud. You're going to be humbled. Instead, humble yourself, and then you will be exalted. Isn't that beautiful? God is mightier than the proud. Finally, in the last reversal is this. The Lord is merciful to the repenter. The Lord is merciful to the repenter. What is the key to all this? 
Humble yourself and repent at his coming. Now notice verses 54 and 55. Here's what happens. Look at these verses. We rush over those and just go on. Or many Christians spiritualize them and see their fulfillment in the church in this age. But that's not what's being said here. Look, he has given help to Israel, his servant. He's not talking about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus, the servant, giving help to Israel, the nation, his servant. And why does he do it? Because they deserve it? No, they're still, they just crucified him. Or they're, I'm sorry, they're going to crucify him, okay? <laughs> they're going to crucify him. And they missed his birth. Why does he give help to Israel? The same reason he gives help to you, even though we still sin. In remembrance of his mercy. Mercy is what you don't deserve. You don't get what you deserve. And Israel's going to be restored. And they don't deserve it. But why does he do it? As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. It's rooted in the Abrahamic covenant, which is rooted, which then the Davidic covenant is rooted in that. And then the new covenant is rooted in that. And now the new covenant mediator has become incarnate. And that means the new covenant is going to be filled. The spirit's going to come. It means the Davidic king is on the scene. Forever and ever. And it means the Abrahamic covenant that through the nation of Israel, all the families of the earth are going to be fulfilled, are going to be blessed. But what's the key? What's the key? You've got to repent. Israel has not yet repented. Mary did. Elizabeth did. Joseph did, Simeon did, Anna did, Peter did, the other 11 disciples did, Paul did, many a Jew did, but the nation did not. They crucified their Lord. And therefore, Zechariah says this, that until they see him coming, the one whom they crucified, when they see him coming, there on the second coming, they will understand, oh my gosh, we made a horrible, horrible mistake. And at that moment when the Antichrist is about to wipe Israel, which he is always trying to do, and he is about to do it, the knife is at their throat, they look up in utter humility at the one who crucified for them, and they see their king coming with the saints, the church, and they repent. And they're going to be restored. And the kingdom will come. And Israel will be restored. The nations, the redeemed out of the nations will be gathered around the throne. We will be there, Lord willing. I hope you will be there. The people our missionaries are reaching will be there. And we will sing the song of Moses, we will sing the song of the Lamb and we will praise like Mary because the Lord is merciful to the repenter. Listen to 
Acts, turn to Acts chapter 3. Israel as a nation must humble themselves. Did I miss a point? Let me see. Did I already miss a point? Yeah, I'm sorry. Remember, Mary is rejoicing in the fulfillment. I got preaching, sorry. Uh, Fulfillment of Isaiah's servant songs. Listen, read those servant songs that I have listed there. Just go back and read, and then read what Mary says, and then go back and read what Isaiah says. But here's what I want you to understand. Israel as a nation must humble themselves and repent to receive God's mercy and be restored. So look at Acts chapter 3. Verses 17 through 21. Think about Acts 1 through 8. Acts 1 is now the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel. Jesus, no, not now. It's not for you to know the times. You are to stay on mission. Now they go, the Spirit comes down. The church is born. They go on mission. And here they are preaching to Jews. Acts 3, 17. Peter is preaching to Jews. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. You crucified him. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, think Isaiah 53. Servant song. We read it at communion. By the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer. He has thus fulfilled. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. The one great hope of Israel was that God's presence would dwell with God's people in God's place. That's times of refreshing. The times of refreshing is our sins will be forgiven. The spirit will be given to us. The Lord will dwell in us and we will be restored as a nation to the land. And that he may send Jesus the Christ appointed for you. But understand this, whom heaven must receive until the period of the restoration of all things. What things? All that God promised. Through the Abrahamic, Davidic, and New Covenant, about which God spoke by the mouth of his prophets. Basically what he's saying to Jews today is repent, but understand Jesus is going to be in heaven until that time when the final Gentile is saved. The times of the Gentile will be fulfilled. I will come. The nation will repent. The kingdom will be restored to Israel. The nations will be redeemed. The redeemed of the nations will be gathered. And my kingdom come. And my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that cool? So how do we magnify the Lord like Mary? Well, joyfully worship the Son for these kingdom reversals because they're coming. And doing your part to reach the nations until the king comes to restore the kingdom to Israel and to the church and to all the redeemed of the nations. Listen, listen to me. It's an unpopular view. I I know this view is in the minority at this time. 
But if God can break his promises to the nation of Israel, what makes you think he can't break his promises to you and I as the church? We are the spiritual seed of Abraham, but that does not eliminate the physical seed of Abraham if they will repent. Folks, read Revelation. There's nations that are gathered in the new creation. Do you think Israel's going to be left out of that? No. Main thing is, I don't want you to be left out of it. So let's rejoice in Him. Man, Mary's got a lot to teach us. Amen? But she magnifies the Lord, not herself. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we have multiple copies. Thank you that we can read through it cover to cover. I pray if there's anyone in this room that has not read through the whole Bible, they'll start that process. It doesn't matter if it takes you a year, a two years. It doesn't matter if it takes you three years. But Lord, let none of us face you having owned your word, your living word, having never read cover to cover. But more than that, let it apply, be applied to our hearts like Mary did. Let us exalt in you and exult in you no matter what happens in 2023. You're a good God all the time. And all the time, you are good. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen.